listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. chapter 11, but since today is family worship, it's the last Sunday of the month, I'm going to ask you if we have any kids in the room to come on down. I'm going to read uh, a retelling of the Lord's Prayer, as many refer to it as, uh, from the Jesus Storybook Bible. So if you're a kid, elementary age, below, slightly above, uh, y'all come on down. I'm going to read this to y'all. The rest of you adults and parents, y'all can listen in, all right? And this will be up on the screen if you want to kind of follow along. All right, this is called How to Pray. In those days, there were some extra super holy people, at least that's what they thought, and they were called Pharisees. Y'all say Pharisees. Pharisees. Good job. Every day they would stand out there in the middle of the street and pray out loud in big, extra, super holy voices. They really weren't praying so much as just showing off. They used lots of special words that were so clever, no one understood what they meant. People walking by would stop and stare, which might sound rude, except that's exactly what the extra super holy people wanted. They wanted everyone to say, look at them. They're so holy. God must love those people best. Now, you and I both know that they were wrong. God doesn't just love holy people, but the people walking by weren't so sure. He loves the people who love him. That's right. Perhaps you did have to be really clever or good or important for God to love you. Perhaps you had to know lots of difficult, clever words to speak to God. So one day, Jesus taught people how to pray. He said, when you pray, don't pray like those extra super holy people. They think if they say lots of words, God will hear them. But it's not because you're so clever or good or so important that God will listen to you. God listens to you because he loves you. Did you know that God is always listening to you? Did you know that God can hear the quietest whisper deep inside your heart, even before you started to say it? Because God knows exactly what you need, even before you ask him, Jesus told them. You see, God just can't wait to give you all that you need, so you don't need to use long words or special words You don't have to use a special voice. You just have to talk. So when you pray, pray in your normal voice, just like when you're talking to someone you love very much, like this. Hello, Daddy. We want to know you and be close to you. Please show us how. Make everything in the world right again, and in our hearts too. Do what is best, just like you do in heaven, and please do it down here too. Please forgive us everything we need today. Forgive us for doing wrong, for hurting you. Forgive us just as we forgive other people when they hurt us. Rescue us. We need you. We don't want to keep running away and hiding from you. Y'all have a seat. Y'all sit down. There we go. Good job. That way people behind you can see. Keep us safe from our enemies. You're strong, God. You can do whatever you want. You are in charge now and forever and for always. We think you're great 
Amen. Yes, we do. You see, Jesus was showing people that God would always love them with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. So they didn't need to hide anymore or be afraid or ashamed. They could stop running away from God and they could run to him instead as a little child runs into her daddy's arms. The end. All right, good job. Y'all go back and see your folks. Let's give these kids a hand. All right, good job, buddy. Um, we have the same Bible like that. You do? It's a good one. So have you ever stopped to think about why do we need to pray? Because you hear this oftentimes in church. You got to read your Bible and pray every day. Or maybe you heard it from uh, the great MC Hammer. You've got to pray just to make it today. Uh, but for many of us, we often think, that was not in my notes. <laughs> I bought that cassette tape at a yard sale one time in the 90s. Don't tell my parents. Uh, that's before he was a pastor, I think. So, uh, but really good theology. Uh, I should have, that should be the name of my sermon. Can somebody put that on the podcast or something? Okay. So uh, maybe you think that prayer is ineffective. I, I know many, many times I do. I think, well, God's going to do whatever he wants to do, so what's the point of praying? Or I think, man, I just don't have enough time. I, I, it's going to be way better for me if I spend my time doing something else because the will of God is over here, and I, I can't really affect the heart or the mind of God. And so this morning, we get to this point in the, the book of Luke, and we see uh, how we are supposed to pray but just so you know, going into this, this is not a complete how-to of praying. And we're not going to look at, here's how you set up a prayer closet, and here's how you can pray, here's what not to pray for. This is not like an, uh, an all-encompassing um, you know, exegesis on prayer. Like We don't have all of that here. It's a really short passage. It's, it's, very, it's very small. And so I would encourage you, if you do want to know more about prayer, there are some really good books. There are other places when we see Jesus praying. Whenever Jesus is praying, we said this a couple of weeks ago, something big is about to happen. There's a really good book by a guy named uh, Paul Miller on prayer. It's fantastic. Um, Al Mohler has a really good book on prayer. And so I would, I would encourage you, dig deep into that. But here's what I want us to see this morning. Is that the heart of why we have given up on prayer is this. Because here's, as, as we get into it, we'll see in the very first verse... That the heart of why we've given up on prayer is that we don't need or want more of Jesus in our lives. Let that sink in for a minute. So before we even think, okay, well, how should I pray? Give me, give me the bullet points. Let me set my alarm clock five minutes earlier. Let me make all of these commendations for prayer. Can I just, and this is me. So as I preach through this passage this morning, some of these things are probably going to hit real hard. I had, to, I had to take a lot of the things that are on the screen, and I was like, man, these are all really, like, these are hitting real hard. <laughs> how can I take some of these negative statements about my life and probably about some of y'all, and how can I turn these into positive exhortations? So as I preach to you this morning, don't think, oh, man, this is, Michael's got it all figured out. His prayer life is fantastic. No, I'm just a beggar coming alongside and saying to other beggars, I'm saying the bread of life is Jesus Christ. And I need this as much as you do. But the heart of why we have given up on prayer, I know this is true for me, is that we don't need or want more of Jesus in our lives. 
the old adage goes, I don't know who said this, um, as we pray, so we believe. In other words, our prayer life is indicative of the state of our soul. Our prayer life is indicative of the state of our soul. As we pray, so we believe. So what we're going to see this morning is that we are to have, as we just read in even this kid's Bible, a totally dependent heart on the Father. But do we often want more of him? Let's jump in. Jeff read this for us. But we see in verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 11 of Luke. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. What we see first is Jesus didn't come out and say, hey, let me teach you guys how to pray. Because he wanted the disciples to feel a sense of need. So we see here the disciples finally realize this. They finally understand we really need to pray. And then Jesus steps in and says, now that you have that sense of need, let me fulfill that for you. So we get to verse number two. And he said to them, when you pray, you pray in this way. That little word when right there is important. He doesn't say if you pray. There's an expectation of when you pray. Here's how you are to pray. The first word there, he says, Father. And if maybe you're thinking about the, uh, the retelling of this from the book of Matthew, he says, our Father. There's that corporate sense and corporate nature there. And as we read through this, what we're going to see is a corporate sense. This is our Father. Give us our daily bread. It's never a me or I. It's us. It's we. So he says, Father. Now, this is one of the reasons, if you look at John chapter 5 and verse number 18, this is one of the reasons that Jesus was put to death because the Jewish folks, they didn't just go to God and call him Father. Even the Pharisees said, said we're going to put this man to death. John 5, 18, go look it up. Because this man, Jesus, says that he has a special relationship with God the Father. That just doesn't seem right. But Jesus here says, you can call him Father. If you think back to Genesis chapter 3, our relationship with God has been broken because of sin. We rebelled against the Father. We're now in sin, separated from the Father. But Jesus comes and he steps in. He says, I'm going to make this relationship right. I'm going to adopt you as children of God the Father. So now we can enter in and have a conversation with him. We have this special relationship with God. An intimate relationship as his adopted children. So this word father brings with it a, a special conversation. It brings with it a sense of privilege. He's not saying here, is, is there a sense when, where God is the father of all people? Yeah. But there's a special sense for those who are adopted children of God. He says you can call him father. Then he says, the very next word, he says, hallowed. Hallowed be your name. Now, we often think of this, and our prayers a lot of times begin with, let's just talk about the glory of God. But this word hallowed is not just saying, it's not just a, a descriptor. This word hallowed means to make holy. It's, it's a verb. It's not just saying God is holy. God is hallowed. But it means to make something holy. So in other words, when we pray, Jesus is saying to ask God to make his holiness known to the ends of the world. That, that all people would know about the glory and the holiness of God. It's not just saying, God, you are holy, but, but we're asking him to make his name great. 
We're asking that his glory, his holiness would infiltrate every part of our lives, every part of our church, every part of our discipleship, every part of our evangelism. As we speak to each other, as we speak to the lost, may the glory and the holiness of God fill our words, fill our hearts, fill our minds. Hallowed be your name. That as we speak to you, as we speak about you, and this name, this is the reputation of somebody. So when it says here, this is the name of God the Father, you're saying this is his reputation, this is his character, who he is. Essentially, he is to be holy, to be praised, to be glorified. May that be so. Father, hallowed be your name. Make your name holy to the ends of the earth. Sometimes you see folks, um, you know, walk into a restaurant, you can tell they're dating or or married, uh, especially if you think about younger folks. Um, you know, older folks, I, I imagine you may not have a whole lot to talk about, you know, because you've talked about it all over the years, or maybe you're just bored, or maybe, maybe you forgot that you're married to the person who you walked into the restaurant with. I'm not sure, but a lot of times you see, especially younger folks, walk into a restaurant, and they could be at a nice restaurant, and they walk in, and they sit down, and when they should be engaged with each other, what do they do? They pull their phones out. I'm talking about other people, not y'all. Other people that I've seen who go to other churches. And, and, but oftentimes they, they pull their phone out. And while they are together, physically, they're in separate worlds. Right? They're, they're in these totally separate worlds. Sometimes for the entire meal. And here Jesus is saying, as we're praying, make it about the glory of God the Father. Don't just say, hey, let me bring my request. Here's what I want to do. No, our ultimate aim in praying is the glory of God filling every crevice of the earth. He says, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Now, this, this kingdom, we don't like talking about this sometimes, but this, this word kingdom almost smacks with the same word of totalitarianism. This, and you're like, ew, that's, that's a bad word. I'm, I'm a capitalist. I'm a, you know, I, I want a democratic republic. That's, that's all good. But just understand this. The kingdom of Jesus Christ is not like some terrible regime, some man-made kingdom like we have here. No, the kingdom of Jesus Christ is with a good king, with a gracious king who does rule by himself. That's him. And so when he talks about his kingdom coming, essentially what he's saying is we are praying that every other kingdom would be, would be demolished, even our own. He says, may we be living for the king's purposes, for the king's agenda. Augustine, uh, in, the, in the third, fourth century, he wrote about the city of God. And he compares the city of man with the city of God. And he's talking about these two kingdoms, essentially. And he says, the city of man, the kingdom of man, is a kingdom and a city of self-love. The kingdom of God here that we're praying for is a kingdom of sacrifice. It's a kingdom of God's love. This is an audacious prayer this is a manifesto that, should be hum that we should be humbling ourselves by. So when we're praying for the kingdom of God, we're not just saying, hey, God, can you help my kingdom out? No, we're praying against all of our selfish desires. May the kingdom of God be what is controlling us, be on our minds. Then we see next, beginning verse number three, we see a few things here. 
that we should be praying for. He says, give us this day our daily bread. We see first, and, and, and notice here, we move from the transcendent nature of God, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and we get here to the imminent nature of God, this nearness of God. And so sometimes we have, even in our minds, we, we have, yeah, God's just really concerned about the big stuff, not about the small stuff. We see here in, in Christ's prayer, to the, as he's teaching his disciples, that Jesus is concerned with both of these things. With both the, the grandest nature of the universe. I saw last night on, on my news feed that, that scientists have found some uh, radio signal that's, you know, pulsating every 18 minutes from this far off place. You know, it's probably aliens or something. I don't know. But, but God is concerned about that. He knows about that. But he is also concerned with your good today. He's also concerned with your safety, with what you are going to eat, with what is happening in your mind, with keeping you away from temptation. So we see here the transcendence of God and the eminence of God. So we see three things here that we are to ask God for. We see, first of all, for provision. It says here, give us our daily bread. I'm we're harking back to Exodus chapter 16 when God provides for the Israelite people as they're walking around the wilderness. They say, God, we're hungry. Would you please give us something to eat? What does he do? He provides manna for them. How often? Every single day. And he says, if you try to keep it overnight and use it for the next day, what's going to happen to it? It's going to rot. It's going to be bad. Except for the, for the seventh day. You can keep it for the first day, right? For the Sabbath. So you don't have to do any work on that day. But he provides daily. We run to him daily. Now, we don't really understand this type of need, but that's only because we have grocery stores, because we have preservatives, uh, because we have refrigerators. But for most folks around the world, they get this. Give us our daily bread. Provide for us every single day. Now, now the point that Jesus is making is not saying, hey, uh, one day when you have refrigerators, refrigerators are bad. You should be going out and, and planting your food every single day. There was a meme going around a couple uh, months ago, um, and it was, it was millennials talking to each other, of which I am one, BTW. Uh, and it, it said, why do we need farmers? We have grocery stores, you know? And so for many of us, we're like, yeah, I can just go to the grocery store and get whatever I need. But for most folks, they don't understand that. But the point of this is not so much just physical need, but it's also this spiritual reliance on God as being a good father. He's saying, understand your desperation. We need to be relying on him for the fundamental basics of life every single day. That's why he says, every single day, give us our daily bread. But the second thing we should ask for there is pardon. He says, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Again, this is a daily, continual repentance to God. So we move here from the physical need to a spiritual need. Now, in this day, they recognized debtedness a little more um, extreme than we do. Most of us in this room are in debt for something. If you're not in debt, that's fantastic. I'm really glad for you. But in this day, when someone was in debt, it meant they went to jail. And it was the, the way that the, the loaners... Uh, would have, would say, we want to get money from, from your family. So until you can pay us back, we're going to put your husband, your wife in jail. And so for them, understanding debt was extreme. What Jesus is saying here, there's a debt that we owe to God and he has forgiven us. And because we're in this kingdom of one who has forgiven us, we as citizens of his kingdom, we can forgive each other. 
So don't read this and say, well, it, I have to, in order for me to receive forgiveness, I must first be forgiven. No. We can forgive others because we have been forgiven so much. Then we see the third thing to ask for here, and that's protection from temptation. We just sang about this. We just sang, we're prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. When we sing those words, yeah, I feel that. You feel that tug at your heart. He says here, and lead us not into temptation. If you look back at Matthew chapter 6, it says, but deliver us from evil. Essentially, deliver us from the evil one. But this word right here, temptation, in the original language, it doesn't mean from every single small temptation that we may face. Essentially, it means deliver us from falling away from the faith. Deliver us from putting our hope and our trust in something other than Jesus Christ. Notice Jesus doesn't say, ask for more willpower. Because you are not sufficient. Even if God said, I'm going to give you all the will. Like, it's still not enough. We must have someone intercede on our behalf. It's Jesus Christ and him alone who delivers us from temptation. So we, we see here the prayer, one of being completely desperate, destitute, unable to do any of these things on our own. So we rely on the God of the universe. Here are three words that I put with this. So we see the provision, the pardon, and the protection. So essentially, we are dependent we are guilty, and we are fragile. We are dependent, we are guilty, and we are fragile. That's why we need provision, pardon, and protection. So as we think about those things, here's the question I have for us. How do we often try to meet these needs? Because we can look here at the prayer and say, oh, well, yeah, here's what I should be doing. Like, pray for these things. But for many of us, when we're in our most desperate state, we're feeling these dependent, guilty, and fragile. And instead of running to our Father and saying, let me live for your glory, instead of running to our Creator, we're, living, we're running to his creation, saying, let me find my satisfaction, let me find my weight and my meaning and my being in something else. We're dependent on what he has given us rather than himself. Instead of living for his kingdom, we want to build our own for the, sake of, for the sake of and out of our success, our independence, our power. Let me build my own kingdom. Instead of running and saying, give us our daily bread, we want to run to those things that offer some sense of control. Right? We want to figure out instead of, man, how can I be completely dependent and relying on God? How can I run to those things in my life that I can control? They give me comfort. They give me pleasure. Instead of forgiving those around us in the same way that we've been forgiven, we think that we can earn God's favor. And we want to make other folks earn our favor. And if you're like, ah, that's not me, just ask your spouse. Have you given your spouse? I know I have. You can ask mine. Have you given your spouse the silent treatment this week? Yeah. Because I wanted to make Shannon earn my favor earn my words. So I'm not going to talk to you unless you behave that, the way that I want you to behave. Is that me forgiving her when she had done nothing wrong? No. 
It's me saying, you earn my forgiveness because I'm in control. I'm living for my kingdom. What about when you're dealing with temptation? Are you praying saying, lead me not into this temptation. Let me run to you. Or are you beating yourself up, hoping that you can earn some sort of sacrificial system from God? Are you shifting the blame? Are you saying it was their fault? Or are you running to Jesus who has been sacrificed on your behalf? Only when we sense our desperate need do we run to our loving Father in prayer. That's the point of this prayer. So why should we pray more? What's the big deal with prayer? You are only going to pray when you sense your desperate need. And it's then when the Father says, I have provided for you in all of these things, for your physical needs, for your spiritual needs, to fight against the enemy. I provided ultimately Jesus Christ. Then we get down to the second part of this section here. And we see where Jesus basically proves this with a story. He tells them a story about a friend who comes and he says, hey, I need some bread. I got somebody who came in to visit. And the person inside is like, oh, I don't want to. I don't want to give you anything. But notice what he says. If you look down at verse number eight, he says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. So the man inside is not saying, you know what? I'm so friendly. I read, a, I read a commentator and he talked about how we should be hospitable people. Like this passage talks about hospitality. I'm like, no, it doesn't. The person inside, the man inside is not hospitable. He doesn't want to get up and give him anything because of his friend. But notice why the person inside gets up and gives some bread to his friend. Yet because of his impudence, you're like, that's a $5 word. What does that mean? And maybe your translation has there the word persistence. It really means shamelessness because of this person's aggravating spirit because they won't stop. They keep pestering. It's not a nice word, but because of the man outside, because he keeps asking, he keeps knocking on the door. It literally means because of his audacity. Finally, the man inside comes and says, okay, I'll give you some bread. But here's the beautiful thing. And Jesus turns this in verse number nine. And he says, you can bring any request to your father. And he's not going to be like the man inside saying, okay, here you go. No, he's going to, he says, the father is not some crabby, Scrooge type of person. The father is waiting for you to ask. He is longing to provide for you. If you just bring your desperation to him. He says he wants to fill your heart. Look at verse number nine. And I tell you, he says three things here. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Now, these in the Greek are all continuous verbs. It means they begin now, and they have continuing action far into the future. They never stop. So he says, go to the Father and ask him, seek him, knock, and look at verse number 10. He says, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be open. Now, some people will look at this and say, oh, this is like similar to Jesus knocking at the heart of your door. This is an evangelistic passage. But can I tell you, friends, this is not an evangelistic passage. Jesus is talking here to his people. He's speaking here to the church. Because we, as individuals, cannot say, oh, Jesus is knocking on my heart's door. Let me go open the door and let Jesus in. No, we are dead. We are unable. We don't even know where the door is. 
And the way that we are regenerated is because Jesus comes in and he opens the door for us and says, look at my grace, look at my mercy, look at my sacrifice, my life, my death, my resurrection on your behalf. Jesus here is speaking to believers, to those who would say, I have already put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He's saying, yes, we'll continue to rely on me. He says, ask me. He's speaking here to us. He's speaking to the church as his people. He says, search me with your whole heart and know me more deeply each and every day. Verse 10, right at the beginning of that verse, there's that word, everyone. And in the Greek, that word is pas. That means it's not some sort of, as we just read, some super holy, special people, some elite class. It means everyone. You have access to the creator of the universe. You have access to a good and gracious father. So ask Seek, knock, and you will find him. Verses 11 and 12, he talks about, he says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? In other words, human fathers, even unregenerated human fathers, know what's best for their kids. So how much more does your heavenly father know what's best for you and care for you and love you. That's what he's saying. But then notice in verse number 13, he says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give what? Give all of your heart's desires? Give uh, everything that's on your grown up Christmas list? Give you that new car? Give you that new house? give you a better looking wife, give you more obedient kids. No. We'll give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. This is the greatest gift that God's children could be asking for. And often we don't even think about asking for it. The greatest gift that we could ask for as God's children, is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he promises here that he will give him. The beautiful picture of the gospel is this, is that God has given us everything that we need. God has given us his son on the cross. God has given us the Holy Spirit for daily living. And he has given intimate access to him as our father. He says, come to me desperately. Come to me not looking for your provision or your protection or for power or comfort anywhere else, but run to me 